And when we can put it into a single barrel offering at cash strength, like this is what we've tried. Like, I guarantee you, you're going to love this because we're not going to put it. I just sound like a men's warehouse commercial, but <laughs> it's, it, but it just, you're going to love the way you look. <laughs> this is episode 255 of bourbon pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny. And I hope you have had an enjoyable week and this podcast finds you well. So let's get on to some bourbon news. We missed the deadline for putting this in the podcast last week. So unless you've been staying away from social media, then you probably already know about the new Weller single barrel orange label that will be coming to market soon. The new Weller will be bottled at 97 proof, which is a middle point between the traditional green label special reserve at 90 and the red label antique at 107. It will also have a suggested retail price of $50. Plus, you can also check out Fred Minnick's YouTube channel, where he was the first person to review it. So make sure you go subscribe and check that out. There's also a new whiskey coming to market. It's a Tennessee whiskey, and it combines golf, Marion Eves, and the Mannings. It's Sweeten's Cove. The investors behind it have some major name power, including the likes of, of course, Peyton Manning, tennis legend Andy Roddick, sportscaster Jim Nance, singer-songwriter Drew Holcomb, among others. The story behind Sweeten's Cove is that it started somewhat off of like an off-the-grid nine-hole golf course at the end of a gravel road in Tennessee, and it was described by some because of its breathtaking views as golf's field of dreams. So a group of friends, including some of the previously ones mentioned, bought Sweeten's Cove back in 2019. With no clubhouse, no plumbing, or really anything else to offer, it has a tradition of a celebratory shot of whiskey for first-timers on the first tee. This will be a 13-year-old Tennessee bourbon with multiple batches that have been blended by Marion Eves. It will consist of around 14,000 bottles and have an SRP of around $200. In distillery news, the governor of Kentucky has said that distilleries can reopen for visitors starting on June 8th. But please make sure that you put in your phone calls to any distilleries that you plan on visiting because it's up to their discretion on how they're going to reopen. So please make sure that you do that before making any plans to go to visit any. Now for today's podcast, many folks have asked us before, what does it take to actually start a bourbon brand? And today you get to hear our story. We switch things up a little bit and Fred interviews us on the brand, how we got started, our process for selecting barrels for pursuit series and what our future plans entail. We can't say thank you enough to everyone out there who has purchased a bottle of pursuit series and been a steward of the brand because of you, we're able to help continue and grow this into something even more amazing down the line. We've even got more plans to release something awesome in the fourth quarter of this year, so stay tuned for more details. We've got three barrels that are available today on sealbox.com, along with less than 65 bottles remaining across specs in the Dallas and Texas and Fort Worth and Austin area, so make sure you can go and get all the details on pursuitspirits.com because we have one barrel that is in the Texas market. And if you got a friend or a relative that found bourbon as something that they enjoy while in quarantine, make sure you tell them about the podcast. Help spread the good word of bourbon. All right, enjoy today's episode. Here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. Ooh, it's becoming a little warmer. It's coming summertime. I'm seeing the blooms, the flowers. Oh, the sun's out more, and maybe you can get a little bit of tan. I'm grilling every night. It's just, oh, it's so exciting. I can't wait to hang out. Oh, wait. Yeah, there's that whole damn pandemic thing. Uh, man, but you know what? The other thing that summertime does for me, 
rum cocktails. Rum cocktails, rum punches. I'm constantly experimenting with different rums. Listen, I know bourbon, 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 bourbon. We talk about bourbon all the time. This is bourbon pursuit. But rum is my, you know, it's my it's my second love on all the spirits. I love rum so much. And I, I it, it does so much with fruit. So listen, everybody, I'm just telling you right now, get on the rum kick this summer and let's start making some rum punches together. Go get, go get, go to the liquor store or get online at Drizzly or go wherever it is you shop right now in the middle of this pandemic and look for the different rums. Okay, here's a shopping list for you. These are the rums that I'm telling you right now will make you excited as a bourbon fan. Total Wine has a brand that's called Dorley's. Dorley's is made only for uh, for Total Wine in the United States. It's made by Foursquare, which in my opinion is the best distillery in all of rum. It's in Barbados, and that rum, Dorley's, whether it's the 12-year-old or it's the basic one, it is beautiful. Start out making cocktails with that or drink it neat. Go over to Jamaica, get a little Appleton, get a little bit of that Jamaican funk on up in there, and use that for punches. So get you some orange juice, get some limes and lemons, and just squeeze them all in together and throw in some some sugar and maybe like a, a Luxardo. Stir that thing up and you got yourself a punch. Head on over to America and get a little bit of privateer out of Boston, the Boston area. That privateer is absolutely fantastic. Now, the three thing that all three of these rums have in common, they don't add sugar. That's right. A lot of rums actually add sugar after they have um, dumped it. So they'll add up to like 50 milligrams per liter in sugar. Now, a lot of people like that. A lot of people like that. But hey, I'm a straight bourbon guy. I love my bourbon neat. I love it with just a piece of ice sometimes. And if you are like me, then you're probably going to want something that isn't adulterated with a sweetness. And so Privateer, Appleton, and Foursquare, or Dorley's made by Foursquare. Take a look at those three things and get back to me at Fred Minnick on whichever social media platform you like. And for a moment, let's talk some rum because it's summertime. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And oh, by the way, I got a YouTube channel. Go check it out. We have a membership area where there's a lot of exclusive content. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof, and the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order.
And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to Bourbon Pursuit. This is going to be a fun episode in which we discuss the Pursuit series, something that I am not a part of, but Kenny and Ryan of Bourbon Pursuit are, so I get to turn the tables on them a little bit and ask them some questions about how they got where they are. And I kind of want to start this off, gentlemen. Oh, no, I'm sweating. Well, given what you told us, told me off air, you should be. Okay. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. well uh, hit me up on uh, on social media, and I'll tell you what re- what this is really about later. We'll feed you all the dirty secrets, okay. and that's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got nothing to hide. So, well, except the party stories. This right. This <laughs> episode is about... This is about the Pursuit series and the building of it. But, of course, you cannot talk about the whiskey that you all own together without talking about this podcast. So I want to go from the very beginning. How did you two actually meet? You want to meet? Yeah, you, you take it. Oh, it's like we're, we're awkward school. You talk, people. I thought. <laughs> so uh, I had been listening to podcasts uh, with my current business, my real paying business. Uh, I listened to podcasts. I'm in my truck a lot. And at the time, uh, I was going to start a lawn care business. Well, I quickly learned that there's not going to be many uh, listeners or followers. Lawn care podcast. I don't think we'd have a Patreon community. Um, Yeah, donate. I'll send you some fertilizer or something. I don't know. But uh, anywho, uh, I was really into bourbon. um, And my brother-in-law kind of said, why don't you do a podcast about bourbon? And because you know so many people you're from. Bardstown, as I always say. And so I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. But I didn't know how to execute it. Kenny and I had become friends. Uh, and how'd it, you guys become friends? What, what, where was that moment of where you all became friends? I think it was we were in Target and we were walking <laughs> past the Pop-Tart aisle and we locked eyes and... I don't remember that. No, that, no. that. No, our, our wives were mutual Kenny, friends. Kenny, is that how you wanted the meeting to go? Or I mean, you know, you ever you ever look back and you think like, oh, I wish I could do something over. You know, that might, might be one of those times. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so our wives were mutual friends. And uh, okay. I had a derby party every year. And Kenny would come and bring his mint julep mix and bring several different bottles. And so we kind of started. And he actually liked electronic dance music and I did too. And so we kind of, uh, had it similar, similar interest. And so I knew what he did and his job was a lot of tech and presentations, public speaking, which Mm -hmm. I had no experience in, uh, still to this day, I, I kind of dread to getting in front of microphone people, but, uh, 
So I needed somebody to execute. So I ca- called Kenny or I emailed him and said, hey, what do you think about this? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. But he was like, we got to need to come come from this angle. And so we met in my basement for the first one. And uh, we had a laptop and a, and a USB microphone. And we just kind of sat around and talked about bourbon and whatnot and uh, while we were doing this. And then I think we recorded it and then we listened to it. And we're like, we got to delete that. That's terrible. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> this was bad. And then from really. And then Do you guys uh, still have that recording? I don't know. Gosh, I might actually on my old. Uh, I would love to my old I, Mac. Actually, we should I put that I out do. for like a bonus on my Garage Band. I need to look that up. That's a good. That would be cool. To, That'd be a to fun, uh, fun episode to do. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just one of those things where you know when you start anything, you you fumble your way through it. Yeah, and and you, you we've we've both gotten much better at the podcast execution, interviewing style everything throughout the years yeah. um it's just been a, a repetition and you just you know you, you start working at something and you you get better at it as the years go along yeah it's it's kind of a testament to like the old theory that like you know the the ten thousand hour rule or something like that if you want to do something like just because you suck at it first like uh you you, you can become good at it you just got to do it so don't let like perfection stop you from doing something because we've had a lot of imperfections along the way and it's taken us a long journey to get here but it's been a cool journey and how when uh, when did it start getting serious for you in the podcasting space i would say it, i mean I'll, I'll kind of i'll kind of take that one a little bit you know for for us it was it was one of those things where you know ryan had he's he's a very good idea person he's very driven by it and he's he's very creative when it comes to it and then it comes to the execution stage and making sure that it stays consistent and it stays on schedule and it stays like that and so there was there was kind of like a a turning within the responsibilities where you know he really wanted to run with this and go with it and i said sure like i'll you know i've got i've got my own work stuff going on like i'm okay like i'll kind of just be the the extra voice of reason if you need it and he was taking care of all the editing and stuff like that and then you know it got to the point where um you know i kind of took over a little bit of the editing uh, making sure that we had you know the right kind of sound quality and all this other kind of stuff over the years and there was a point as well where you know during that process you know when i was picking up and doing a lot of this and putting in tons and tons of hours a week uh, into it. I mean, most of the people don't understand that what goes into a one hour podcast, there's uh, at least 20 to 40, even sometimes 60 hours of work that just goes into that one hour. Correct. And so when you, when you get to that point and you're spending that much time, plus you've got your other 40 hour a week day job, you get burnout pretty quickly. And so it, got to the point where we, I just said, you know, like, we're going to let it lapse a little bit and we let it lapse. And then all of a sudden you had people on Twitter saying like, Hey guys, when's the new episode going to come out? Yeah. And, like, and we're oh. like, Oh, people listen. Yeah. What, what year was that? Uh, I mean, this was probably 2016 timeframe. Uh, it had been somewhere during that time frame. Uh, and then there was also, I think it was like December of like 2016 as well. Actually it was probably 2015 timeframe when I, that, that tweets happened. And then it was 2016 when it was a lot of the work that was really going into it. And I was feeling the burnout. I mean, I was really feeling the burnout from it. And I just said, like, I don't really know if there are ROIs here. Like, I'll have to go ahead and reevaluate, like, what's, is this really going to be worth the time? Um, you know, and I put that tweet out there. There was a lot of good positive responses. Uh, Mark Gillespie from WhiskeyCast saying, like, hey, like, I know a lot of stuff goes into it. Like, he said, keep at it and stuff like that, too. So even, even like, competitors in the space were, like, saying, you know, like, a lot of, a lot of just good, uh, you know, patting on the back and stuff like that. And then there was somebody else that said, hey, like, why don't you all start a Patreon? I'd be happy to support you. 
And I was like, what the hell is a Patreon? And so you go in, you start reading about it and you're like, hell, let's, let's run with it. Um, and then from there, it's just been, that's been kind of the, the growth and medium that we've needed to help support mm-hmm. and sustain this podcast, because it's, it's one of those things that, you know, this is, this is a new medium. It's hard to find advertisers in this new medium. Um, because there's a lot of companies that, I mean, <laughs> Ryan said it before, it's like, it's whiskey, it's distillation. You haven't changed anything in 200 years, probably not going to change a whole lot of things when it comes to the marketing aspect of it as well. Right. So it's one of those things that we're waiting for them to kind of catch up with it. So it's, you know, we go and we try to sell and we try to talk to these people, but you know, a lot of times that they'd rather buy a billboard or a bus stop right? Whatever. Good for you magazine ads. Yes. And they love magazine ads still. That's just great. (laughs) But I mean, like I said, this is just one of those things that we saw Patreon as really our catalyst to uh, really support and grow the show. And that's really what it's been now for the past few years. And it's awesome too, because we, I mean, we have a great partner with Barrel, but they've been great and, you know, let us be us, but we don't have to like answer, you know, we can kind of be us. We're not like on anyone's agenda or anything. So we can just be true to ourselves and we do what the community wants. We really rely on them to kind of give us ideas and what the, what interests them and feedback from them. It's been great having that, uh, support and, you know, ideas bouncing off of them and stuff. So it's, and I remember when you all, uh, reached out to me for, for an interview, um, there were a couple of different times you all reached out to me. I, I helped you get into the legend series. And then, um, when it, when you all reached out to me to, to be an interview about, about bourbon, um, I remember at the time there were so many podcasts coming on and, you know, there were people trying to do stuff and you guys kind of had a different feel, you know, and it just, it was like, it, it was like, I could be friends with these guys, you know, Thanks for even it. though I think that was that's the one of the interviews was where the marzipan thing came from. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you were like, What is I was marzipan? Like, what the hell's marzipan? <laughs> I'd never heard of it in my life. I'm sorry, we never had marzipan in Barton, no. <laughs> but it was it was very clear early on that there was some spark there and that you guys were going to, to do something in this space in a in a medium that I think was, um, you know, filled with people who really couldn't, you know. contribute to to the community in some way and i you guys came out and you did it and and the one thing that you know obviously i came on um last year i guess a year and a half ago now you know i came on because i respected what you guys built and and then when you all came out with with your own bourbon that that threw me off so i was like i wasn't expecting that i was like that's the kind of move that you don't see media people make yeah it i remember us off too <laughs> it threw us off too because i remember we were kind of in like negotiations of uh our partnership or whatnot and uh, the ironing out the details and we were at like an old forester event i think it was like the president's choice or whatever but we had just kind of like confirmed that we were going to start this brand and I was like, what is Fred going to think of this? Because he's a reviewer, you know, is this going to throw the deal off? We, you know, we set you aside and you're like, we need to talk about this. And it wasn't about the bourbon, but about our deal. And then we told you, we're like, we're starting our own bourbon brand. You know, you don't, we don't want you to be involved. We know it will. We don't want you to be involved. Not in the sense sense that we don't want you involved, but we don't want to, you know, implicate implicate anything for your reviews and whatnot. So, and you were like, yeah, I don't care. It's totally fine. And I was like, oh monkey off my back yeah i thought, yeah, I thought it was gonna be a total deal breaker but anyways well it, it's <laughs> there have been some uh so some history there of like um uh whiskey whiskey media 
you know, starting a brand there, uh, whiskey magazine actually had, had its own label for a bit, uh, in Scotland. So it's not unprecedented. It's just not popular. Um, you know, people tend to, to frown upon it. Did you all have any concerns that, you know, you would, you would piss off like, uh, you know, the distillers that now you're competing with them. Do you have any concerns like that when you guys were thinking about this? No, not really. I mean, when we, when we look at what we're trying to build and what we're trying to do, it's we're, we're boutique. I mean, we are not going to be kind of kind of person that we're not going to have two or $20 million to dump into a distillery and build one. Um, we're not going to be one of those people that are trying, I mean, it'd be amazing to get bought out by somebody that's not on the radar. It's probably never going to happen because we're, we're not at, we're not that kind of level, right? We're not at a level where we're sourcing hundreds and hundreds of barrels and then creating these crazy single barrel programs and then aging stuff and then trying to release to mass market. Like that's really not what we're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and not only that is, you know, we took this as an opportunity to kind of diverge it in a, in two different ways. So first and foremost, yes, we source like that was the, the kind of the, the way that it was all built off of. Um, but when we started this, even to how it all even began was the idea that, you know, we talked about a brand on the podcast and then a few weeks later I get this phone call from a guy and he's like, Hey, I helped build that brand. Would you interested in doing your own? Like never, never even crossed our mind. Right. At the time we were doing, we just kind of started doing single barrels, um, for the Patreon community we had done. And then they were selling out really fast. And so I was just thrilled doing like single barrels for, from other distillers. And I was totally content with that, you know, at the time. And so like, yeah, our, our broker called us and he got the idea and, uh, Kenny called me and he was like, you interested? And I was like, uh, not really, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And then he's like, oh, okay. And then like two weeks later passed and Kenny's like, well, I'm going to meet that guy that has, you know, all this. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll go. You know, it's like Monday night. Hell, we're met at like hell or high water and I'd never been there. I was like, oh, go check it out. (laughs) Excuse to go get a cocktail. Yeah. And so we, we sat with them and they were. To our surprise, they were like, I thought they were going to be like two older guys, like, you know, just kind of real sharp, like businessmen, like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, just intimidating or something. But like we met them, they were really cool. They like had really great ideas um, and the whiskey they had was really good. And um, I was like, you know what? I think we can make this work. And at the time, I think Kenny just thought, you know, we were going to do like a barrel pick or two with it. And I was like, no, 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 Kenny we need to start our own brand and like we could make something much more bigger than just one or two barrels Mm -hmm. from that. So, um, I immediately left that meeting and I could not sleep for like two nights. I was so excited about the opportunity. Like I told my wife, I came home and I'm like, this is, this is something I've been dreaming of my whole life. This is an opportunity. Like you'd always wanted to own a, well, no, I, I never did, but like the, you know, I've grown up around this my whole life. Um, and I've always been, enjoyed bourbon and I love being around the community and just even the opportunity to have my own brand like was like just shocking to me and like I was Mm -hmm. so excited about it I couldn't even put into words I I just that's all my attention went to for like for months and so Kenny and I gone you know got on I was like I know a designer let's get call him get a bottle design made up let's go um and then the broker sent us some samples you know to kind of pick our first barrel to see if we're still interested and tell them about, you know, what we did up here. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, we had three barrel samples and we, we all kind of know that it was coming from Tennessee. We knew that. And that was one of the things that we thought ourselves, like we had, we had, we go into it with the same exact mindset that every other whiskey geek goes out there and they're like, 
I don't drink Tennessee whiskey. Yeah, right? me and, especially. I'm and like, no way. We're like, we're like, we're from Louisville, Bardstown. Kentucky's in our blood. Like, why would we ever do this? And so I said, all right, you know what? Like, let's give it a try. I said, let's take these three barrel samples. I'll grab a bottle of Henry McKenna. And I said, if it's better than Henry McKenna. <laughs> this was right after you had like named it whiskey of the year or something. <laughs> <laughs> so and when I say better, like better to our palates. Right. At that day, at that time, whatever it is. Yeah. And so we sat outside or barrel proof versions of it. And, you know, we're just sitting there and we're drinking of it and we're drinking it. And lo and behold, like the first barrel that we locked, that we liked, I was, I, we loved it. We said, this is it. This is the winner. And that ended up being episode 001, the first barrel release that we ever did. Yeah. So we went down there. Um, I think the first one we went on, they rolled out like 10 barrels that time. And our intentions were to just buy one barrel <laughs> and, you know, and uh, we get down there and we tasted through like, I don't know, 10 or 12. I can't remember exactly. And we found three that were like really good. And I was like, man, we got about three of them and I'm freaking out. Like, how much is this going to cost? How do we ship them? How do we do all this? Like there was like, you know, all this anxiety, but I was excited because I knew the whiskey was good. And I thought that people would enjoy it if they would just, you know, drop the stigma of Tennessee. But if they open up the bottle and try it, I was like, I would, because we taste a lot of good stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. not to say that we're gifted or our palates are better, but we, I mean, we're whiskey geeks like everyone else and we've tasted pretty much anything and everything. And we thought that this was in that realm of really a high quality product. And so I was like, yes, I'm, I'll put my name on it and uh, let's get it to market. How did you all get the money to start this? Did this come from your own financing? Yeah, I mean, yep. this, this was all completely bootstrapped by uh, what we put into it and everything like that. Um, we've got a pretty good deal uh, that we cut out with our, our distributor, or not our distributor, I'm sorry, our broker, where um, our deal is basically says that we, and this is, this is also kind of the way that we built this as well. Pursuit Series is nothing like anything else that you can get in the bulk market because we've talked about the bulk market on the podcast before. You want to start a brand, you need 50 barrels. Here's your check for whatever, $80,000, $90,000, maybe even probably $250,000, whatever it is. If you truck show up, your barrels roll off, you get what you get, right? Mm -hmm. Some Where, could be empty, some could be half full, some could be full, and some could taste like hell, some could, yeah. you know, it's just, you don't know. It's a huge gamble. And so what we get the opportunity to do is actually go to the broker and depending on the day, two to 5,000 barrels in inventory, he'll roll out what he can for us and we'll sample through and we will select every single barrel we get to choose from, from the broker. So it's unlike everything else where it's actually a, a, a true uh, single barrel that we are choosing uh, out of amongst a lot of these. And when we're looking at the, a lot of the Tennessee stock, we reject about 80% of the barrels that we go through, right? So we're looking for really the best of the best when we go through this. The, those guys that we work with, I won't name names because Because you don't want to give them up. Right. <laughs> well, no, I, I want to help him any way I can. Absolutely. Because um, uh, he's been instrumental to our success and uh, we wouldn't be here without him. But uh, yeah, I mean, from the initial meeting, he was like, he's like, I know, you know, we have you, you, you two are not like typical people we sell to, you know, you're going to yeah. buy a barrel here, a barrel there. That's not what we typically do. Typically, like Kenny said, they move 500 to a thousand barrels at a time. And so, mm -hmm. um, he was very creative in like how we could finance it, how we could make this work. Um, he was very interested in making us succeed. And so that was one thing that, you know, has really helped us, you know, be able to cash flow this and kind of get it to where it is. Otherwise we'd, I mean, we put up a lot of money up front initially, but we were able to kind of recoup that pretty fast um, with 
the the financing terms he's given us. Yeah, and those financing terms they may not last forever because oh, no. <laughs> because like I said, we go and we select barrels now. Like now, now when we go and we select barrels, like I said, the first time we went, we had twelve or fourteen to select from. Now when we go, it's anywhere between thirty to sixty barrels, and we do it over the span of two days, and we're slapping stickers left and right, and we're taking like you know maybe. 10, 10 to 12 barrels when we do this. And he does the bottling too? Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's that's the great thing is it's kind of like a one-stop shop operation for us. They'll do bottling, they do labeling. So we're able to source our glass, source our tops, get our labels created um, from a local design agency that we have and everything like that, have them shipped down there. And yeah, if, you need, if you're a bourbon brand out there, you want some repackaging or want to start relay design, they are incredible. Yep, here in Louisville, relay yep. design is the one who actually helped build our... Uh, our, our label and everything like that. So, so I was curious, um, the, the, who came up with the idea of calling, you know, first of all, the pursuit series, that makes sense, you know, but who came up with the idea to call each one of them an episode? That was me. Uh, I brilliant. Was like, Just a brilliant idea. I loved it. Well, I was like each barrels, you know, um, a single barrel. So they're all unique. And I was like, we were really trying to, um, play off the podcast. Cause you know, that's where we were successful. And so I was, and, you know, most bourbon bottles, when we were doing the packaging and design, most bourbon bottles are really masculine and they're very, like, serious. Um, you know, they're dark. They're, you know, really kind of, like, leather, manly kind of. And I wanted to brighten it up, kind of make it fresh and fun and playful. And our designer had the same kind of vision, too. So he kind of, you know, if you look at a bottle, you know, it looks like, you know, an iTunes uh, uh, podcast player. So there's a play button, you know, there's the show notes. And, uh, so I, I kind of came up with the episode and then I think you might've came up with the show notes. I can't even remember, but, uh, we just wanted to play off the podcast, uh, as much as possible because you can do that with single barrels because they're all unique and they're all individual and they have their own different things that we like about them. So I thought it made sense. Well, we also stand on the shoulders of giants at the end of the day, right? I mean, we look at, we, a lot of this inspiration came from the brands that we already like and we cherish. I mean, when we look at uh, what you can do from Willett Family Estate, what you get with Old Forester Birthday Bourbon. When you look at that, we took a lot of those cues and put them into there. Um, you know, with Willett Family Estate having a a single barrel offering and knowing that like when that bottle's gone, that's it. When people are out there and they're like, I've got to have barrel C9D, like I got to have it. And then, you know, if that translates to the same thing as somebody says like, oh, I need episode five from, you know, Pursuit yeah. Series, whatever it is, they kind of translate that. And we, we try to be as transparent as we can on the, on the label. Like that's one thing that we come from a whiskey background is like as much as we can put out there from, you know, the proof, the age, everything, like we want to make sure everything is age dated as much as possible. Uh, not only that is, you know, if we can divulge the distillery, we, we will. Um, we do that again with some yeah, of the craft, that's, with that's, some of the craft offerings that we well, do. Yeah. And with the, our labels are a pain in the ass and they're the most inefficient <laughs> thing ever. And it's my fault because of the episode. And also I, I did steal from birthday bourbon when I was looking at bottles on the shelf, I thought I liked how birthday bourbon had a different color of each one. And so when you look at a shelf and you look at the different colors, you can say, oh, I have that particular year or particular. So I wanted that each episode to have their own color. So you look, when you have them lined up, you're like, you know which episode you have. Yeah. So both of you have been a part of the narrative of trying to get whiskey distillers to be more transparent. Now that you're on the other side a little bit, do you understand, uh, do you have a little bit more appreciation for those distillers who may not be as transparent as they should be? Well, I, I can see in, in some instances, yes, I can see it because they've worked hard to build that brand recognition, build that, They've, 
you know, they've spent a lot of money to trademark, you know, and protect that name. So I can understand that they don't want somebody piggybacking off that. And kind of in particular, like we're talking about someone who may like uh, source their whiskey out or sell it out like Barton Wood or Dickel uh, or even in some circumstances at one, once upon a time, Brown Foreman or Four Roses. Or Heaven Hill sourced a Heaven lot Hill. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can understand why they don't. And there, you know, at a time there were so many people source and they still are, but there's so many different brands sourcing. So I could see it, you know, just being confusing. And, mm. um, but at the same time too, it's like, it, it also helps them. Cause it's like, you know, how many like Luxro, um, the Ezra Brooks seven, or, you know, that, you know, it's heaven Hill juice and you're like, damn, that's good. It just elevates the heaven Hill brand even more in my opinion. But what I um, find fascinating is when one of them, win a, when one of them won an award, they're like, well, you know, whose whiskey that really is. I was like, yeah, I know it's Brown Foreman. Why don't you let the world know? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that we try to do is we try to take a lot of the things that the whiskey geek would find appreciative. Right. And we try to divulge as much information as we can. Um, and at the same exact time, I think that we've had a lot of good success and a lot of good feedback on the show notes portion as well. Mm-hmm. Because if there's somebody that says, I don't feel like taking a risk and a gamble on a, on a 75 or $115 bottle. Like, I don't want to do that. Well, what we do is we try to put our show notes, like we try to find a prominent flavor or a little spin on it that is a way that you can kind of get an indication of like, this is the flavors that we are getting inside this bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a little bit of a better uh, estimation of what you're getting yourself into that you're just not blindly throwing money at it as well. Let's, I want to take it uh, you know, back to like the, the starting of the brand. I want to ask both of you this question. What was the most annoying thing at the very beginning about starting a brand? The government, like paperwork. The paperwork is so annoying and so slow and so cumbersome. It's, I mean, they, they really like, they want you to quit. <laughs> like they don't want you, because the, the amount of paperwork and the waiting and all the stuff you have to fill out, the trademarks, all this stuff, it's, I mean, it's a lot of legwork and upfront costs just to even like get a label approved. And, uh, that, that was the most annoying for me. Well, no, I, I agree with you because even going and navigating the process of figuring out like, okay, like what kind of license can we get? Like we can't get a DSP because we don't own a distillery. We don't own a warehouse. We don't own these things. What kind of license do you get? And you look around, you're like, well, I know this company X and this company Y, like they don't own a distillery. Like, how are they doing this? So you, there, there's, there's this whole world that these even navigate to figure out like, oh, that's what it ended up being. We had to get our wholesaler's license. And then we got our wholesaler's license. And then we're like, okay, well, let's go ahead and we'll start navigating this path. And then even trying to, like, we don't, we haven't released anything from MGP. We haven't bought anything from MGP, but we said, there's some good stuff from MGP. Like, let's go ahead and get samples. And we talked to them and they're like, hey, okay, we need your DSP. Like, we don't have a DSP. Here's a wholesaler's license. They're like, what the hell's a wholesaler's license? <laughs> so it's like, you know, there's this whole world that it's just like, it's, it's so confusing that's underneath the yeah. covers that. And- even the people in the, they're like, we don't even know what you need sometimes. Like, <laughs> like you file with the Kentucky ABC and, and they're like, uh, we don't even know what you need. Like, let me try to get my supervisor. We'll call you back in like four months. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. Maybe not four months, but it was at least a few weeks. Yeah. when yeah, they were, we, we tried to get registered with the state of Kentucky when we were try, trying to at least open up distribution in the state. And it was kind of like, well, what papers do you need? Well, I don't know. What do you have? Right. So yeah. And then like you're, you're buying and then you, you're buying whiskey and trying to transfer bonds. The government's on shutdown and you can't. So then they, they're not right. doing anything. And then they have a backlog. So it takes even longer. And you're like, you know, I'm, I own several businesses and it's like, 
I, I like to move at a fast pace. I like to get things done. And Kenny's the same way in tech. And it's like when you try to do anything, is you have to plan at least eight months in advance because it just takes that much in paperwork, shipping, distribution, all this stuff. It's so slow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, our first bottles we were supposed to release of November of 2018, right? Or- no, they were supposed to be in September, and uh, they didn't even. Yeah, they didn't release till what December. Uh, December? Yeah, late December. Yeah. All right, so you guys, um, it takes a little while to get some approvals, but you get it. You you get um, you get your look of the bottle and everything ready to go, and then you get your first release out, and it's a pretty successful release. It sold out uh quickly correct yeah, within a within a day yeah. yeah i mean that's and that's who i mean he, what new brand can say they sold out their first release in a day well to be fair it's only it's a single barrel so it's only 150 no, bob no, you know no, but own that shit man uh, you guys sold it is out in a it day. was surreal i you know i thought it i thought it'd be quick but not that quick um and so it was very it was very cool um with that, you know, is new to us and new with our um, our distributor, Silbox. They were just kind of up and running. And so there were a lot of um, just road bumps from both ends. Like we didn't know how to do customer service or some shippings didn't get, you know, correct. You know, not their fault. Just just things happen, you know, when you're shipping things. And uh, you're like, from now on, we got to hold back so many bottles so we can make sure we can cover, you know, all the, you know. Anything happens. Anything's happened because we... We literally needed to sell out everything to like recoup our money. Like, so we didn't, you know, keep a bunch of bottles, you know, so we were just like, we need to sell it. And so we, we definitely learned that aspect. We need to hold back some to, uh, yeah, fix any errors. I mean, you know, on that note, you know, um, you know, big shout out to Blake. Yeah. I didn't mean, I wasn't trying to talk negative. No, 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 absolutely. But I'm just saying like this, this is only successful because of him so far. Right. I mean, yeah, Blake's been a great partner. It was, it was one of those things when we were, I remember being there at um our, our our broker and you know we had to take a break because there's another person there doing a barrel pick and we go we're in the break room and i'm on the phone with blake because blake was just like just getting seal box off the ground just like kind of like an idea and i said like all right man you got to tell me how this works because we have a national audience we're not going to sit there and try to cover the entire u.s and try to get distribution in all these different states like tell me how it works right and so that has been instrumental in being able to get this in the hands of our followers and listeners across the nation. Um, and this is kind of why we are also a big uh, supporter of breaking down the, you know, the commerce clause and the, the opening up shipping between states and everything like that. And, you know, we've, we've seen the power of what not having a distributor can actually give you. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what we've ultimately found at this at the end of the day. So one of the, one of the things that, um, what how it's being operated is a threat to uh, the three tier system, and there's so much money behind that, and there's so many people out there trying to defend it right now. Do you ever get nervous that this model might come crashing down at any any minute? Well, I mean, we branched out, yeah, we, we and, branched and we've out. branched out because of that uh, there there was a time last year, um, uh. In, in the summer, I kind of was like, all right, um, we need to kind of diversify how we're going to get this into people's hands. And so we've we looked at our biggest states and where we have the most listeners or who who have um, followers purchased or who, who's purchased that. things from us. And so I was like, all right, 
let's look at those states. So it was Kentucky, Texas, um, Georgia. And so I was like, we need to get some distribu- traditional distribution set up in those states because we want to be able to get, just in case something, we want to be able to get the product to where we have the most fans. Well, you have, you have, that's twofold, right? I mean, you have one where you have stores that want their own exclusive single barrels. Like mm-hmm. they want to be able to have that for their customers. Uh, and then second, you, you can't get away from the eyes that you get just eyeballs, right? I mean, when somebody just goes into a liquor store and they start looking and what's on the shelf, what's behind the glass case, blah, 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 blah. It's a lot easier to get eyeballs in your brand doing that than it is to say, hey, go visit this website. Yeah. Right. It, it, I was amazed. Like when we, when our, our list, our audience is fine, but when you try to like, we did a friends and family barrel where we were like selling just to our friends and family to say thank you for the support, you know? And you know, a lot of my family members are like, they're like, what do you mean? I can't go get on the shelf. Like, I can't go to Liquor Barn again. I was like, no, you got to go to this website and like order. And they're like, that sounds like too much work. I was like, really? You do but, Amazon I mean, every day. Like, <laughs> well, I was going to say, in Bart, did they, didn't they just get internet or? <laughs> <laughs> we got dial up now, you know, it takes a bit. But... You got mail. But even just like everyday consumer, you know, people that are whiskey geeks, like you tell them, they're like, where can I go get on the shelves? There, there's still this mindset of, in which I, I like it too. I like going to the store, talking to people, uh, seeing it on the shelf and seeing what it looks like holding it. And so there's definitely that you kind of have to like change people's mindset that you can get online, order it, and it'll show up. Yeah. Because there is something about the experience of going to the store. And, and having that built-in audience too, it, you, you want to you be able to supply, uh, you know, meet the demand of this audience, this podcast audience. And how, how have you all been able to do that aside from Sealbox? So, I mean, that's, it's, Sealbox is, it's, it's the main driver, right? I mean, do, going online was the main driver. And that's only because that is the, the best mechanism to get it in the most hands across the U.S. Um, we can't get into everybody's hands because of certain states, but that's why we set up traditional distribution. Yeah, I mean, in those states, and that was one of those things. I think I think Ryan had that that light bulb moment when he had to actually go to Texas for a for an event, and he realized Houston alone has more population than the entire state of Kentucky. And what just I was in Dallas, but yeah, Dallas has like oh, seven thing. million people. Yeah. Houston has like eleven. You're like Kentucky has like three or four million people. You know, there's a ton of people here. There's more barrels of bourbon here than than people as yeah. we like to say so exactly we're a small state but yeah that's one of the main drivers when we we look at population that's and that's one of the things when now we start connecting those dots when we start talking uh and you start hearing about other distilleries and they're like oh i'm sorry this brand is not going to launch in kentucky and people are like oh boo, you, like you're not going to launch in your own backyard and it's like no I understand why like, there's, <laughs> yeah there's like 20 million people over here in this other state that would that are going to want this product right so so has launching this brand like help you um, understand the distillers a little bit more. Totally, totally. Yeah, I like, think we have um, a lot more empathy for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's you know. It's, so then, <laughs> when Ryan goes off on one of his, uh, well, it also too. I know, I know what it takes, so I can pinpoint their bullshit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when they say something, and I know it's not true, I can call them out on it. Yeah, like, so we I know the process. We can't do a single barrel proof because we have to submit every single one of the TTV. You're like, nope. No, you don't. No, you can't. You're like, yes, no, you can't. Uh, <laughs> don't talk to me. <laughs> Love it. Now, let's take a look at... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab this bottle here, and I want to know how much time and effort went into every piece of the bottle. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. 
and that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. I want to know how much time and effort went into every piece of the bottle because this is... You know, you can have all the marketing you want in the world, but the, the, the bottle, the packaging, the design, that is, you know, that's that's the story of, of every bottle. So how how long did it take you all to come up with a cork? <laughs> well, let's I think we should start with the glass first. Yeah, the there glass, we go. Because we'll start with the glass. Because I think that's a that's an interesting story that not a lot of people really know about is that when people want to go into glass manufacturing, you say like, I want a custom glass. I want my glass to look different than everybody else's on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, your mold, just the mold alone starts probably around like forty to $50,000, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then from there, you actually start getting into the actual cost for the production run, right? that's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen on our budget. Um, and so you look at stuff that's off the shelf. Um, and there's plenty of different suppliers out there from Berlin packaging, Imperial packaging, and there's all kinds of people that can source these types of glass for you. And so for us, uh, we sat down here in the basement and with our, our bottle designer from Relay Design, and we looked at, we really looked at all the bottles on the back bar. We sat here for probably a solid 15 minutes. And, you know, and, and really, when you do that, you realize how many brands use the same bottle you know yeah Yeah, if you don't look at the label and you just look at the bottle itself you see like that wine bottle shape is everywhere and that wine bottle shape is is the cheapest dirt glass you can get out like it's like 60 cents or 80 cents a bottle it's stupid cheap right and so when you you look at that and you're like okay well i don't want to be another wine bottle out there and you know it's it's not uncommon people look at it and they're like wow your bottle looks awfully familiar to parker's heritage right And that was one of the things, I mean, our bottle designer, he picked up the Parker's Heritage bottle and he goes, I love this design. I'm because like, it sticks out. Like you look at all those and it's the one that when you, you're scanning a bar, you, you stop because it's so different from everything else. It's not a squat bottle. It's not uh 
the wide, tall one. So it's, you know, it, it's unique in that it's that sense. And then that began the three-week course of finding that fucking bottle, right? Because, <laughs> because that is, it was one that um, only a few people had access to it. Uh, this one, and by the way, I should also mention that ours is not the same exact bottle as Parker's. It is different. Ours comes from a different mold. Parker's is, a, it has its own different, has its own mold. Yep. And it comes etched already and all that stuff. Exactly. Um, and so finding this one was hard because our bottles are actually imported from France. I can go ahead and fast forward. We might be running into some supply chain issues here, uh, coming <laughs> the, uh, later part of the year, but that's, yeah, for another we had no story. idea we would be this far along in the process so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know like i said finding the bottle was one part um and then the second part from it after you found the bottle shape was actually figuring out what does the design look like um brian from relay gave us i probably what started off with six or seven different designs mm -hmm. um completely different than what you see here there were some that were clear there were some that were etched there were some that um actually had like design on the back of the sticker that you could see through the glass like he had all kinds of crazy ideas um, but we ended up leaning with one that had more of a play on the podcast that didn't feel like it was just a very like, because the, some of them felt like it was almost like too high class, like hoity-toity yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what I did not want was I was like, I want it to be fun, playful, bright. Like yeah. that's because that's what the podcast is. You know, it's not, I mean, we're serious about what we do, but it's, just we don't have bring fun. a counterfeiter on it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah, we'll never let that one come back to that. <laughs> so, okay. So you're, what you're telling me here is that you may have put more time and effort into uh it, oh, it gosh. i remember me and kenny would have email exchanges like i think that we agree on a lot of stuff but i think that's the one thing where we really like kind of went back and forth on like mm -hmm. what what do we want this to look like and um it it was it took a while to like really get it to where it is um and not only that once you actually figure out the design the design's done then becomes the actual manufacturing process that yeah. people don't understand this is also another thing like go to your home bar and start looking at the labels and then look at all the intricate details like where do you see um gold foil where do you see copper foil i had where no you, idea there was foil where do you see or... embossing and where do you see all these different pieces like when you rub your thumb over something like how does it feel like those are the things that not a lot of people probably don't pay attention to. But at the end of the day, when we were really looking at it, we we're like, holy crap. Like we didn't really understand like how much really attention goes into some of these labels that you just don't think of. Yeah. And so, you, and know, so you guys put, you, you feel like that you put more work into the creation of the bottle than you did selecting the whiskey? Oh, at first. Yeah. Because I think it was when you half and half, but well, half and but I mean, we had we, we had a good experience picking barrels. So, well, our <laughs> our designer um, really kind of pushed into our brains that you need to rightfully so think long term with this because it's very expensive to change. And so, when because you're buying presses that cost five to six hundred dollars a piece just for like one part of the label, we have three different presses I think that you have to to buy. And they may even be more expensive than that I can't even remember, but it's very expensive to change like even subtle details. So as you have to think even long-term like, all right, what's this going to look like in 10 years or five years, how easy it's to change, how much it's going to cost to change. And so it was just very well thought out and it had to be. And, and our designer kind of gave us that mindset, which I appreciate. So one of the brands that uh, is new to the market and gets a lot of criticism uh, for, for its price point is uh, Peerless, and they went through an exhaustive amount of research and effort to create that that bottle, which is one of the reasons why it's it's so expensive. How uh, do you now that you are in the uh, position you are? 
do you have a little bit more respect for something like Peerless because of that effort and design into the bottle being passed forward to the into the cost of the of the final product? I think it's a little bit different. I think it, what Peerless has done, I mean, they've won awards for bottle design, right? And they're also winning awards for their whiskey, but they've won awards for bottle design. I don't think that was really our intention when we started, right? Yeah. I, I mean, mean we, we had lofty ambitions when we were like, we're going to put a box and do all because my uncle owns the the place that makes like the boxes for bookers and off creeks. I was like, we need to put it in a box. It's going to have a tube or something. And then you realize how expensive things are when you're, you know, doing all these runs and you're like, okay, we need to get the cost down. And it's, it totally, like you said, dictates the price, what it ends up in the consumer's hands. Yeah. And yeah. So, and especially coming from a source market, like it's, it's almost impossible to, at least in day and age, unless you're buying thousands of barrels to get a source product under $50. It's, it's impossible. Um, and, Making sure that your packaging looks good, but is also cost effective is is really where we try to be at, right? You know, we didn't want to be in the um, the 60 or 80 cent wine bottle shape. We're in the $2.50 or $2.75, um, this kind of Parker shape, right? We felt like we'll, we'll pay the extra dollar fifty or whatever it is to be able to get us to that point. So there is there was those decisions that we kind of went down along the path that said like where can we make the bottle look upscale without you know completely blowing mm-hmm. out of the water, right? I mean, I know that when we talk about peerless, like I think what twenty bucks of the bottle is or twenty bucks of that whole you know the whole product is into the packaging. That's a lot of money, right? How much is a every bottle? Uh, I would say into ours, we've got somewhere. Uh, I would say less than around $5, maybe $5 a bottle okay. somewhere around there. Yeah. And why did you all go with, cause a lot of people, what they'll do is, is that they'll cut body on the cork or the closure. Uh, you guys use, it looks like you guys use one of the higher grades of cork here. Well, actually, you know, it was, it was funny going into that. So we started off and I, that was the, that was the battle that I, I fought on. I, yep. I fought on that hill and I said, guys, I want a natural cork. Yeah. Um, and not only that is I said, okay, well, by the way, also when you're going, you're looking at tops, there are so many damn tops out there. And so I said like, okay, well we need to find uh, a black top. We like wood, natural wood. What does this fit? Does this fit well with the packaging? We finally found one. Uh, we found somebody that had these antique black wood tops that had natural cork in stock, 3000 units, done, done, buy yep. them, right? We'll take them. And they fit the, Yep. They, they yeah, fit the yeah, opening, yeah, no problem. Yeah, and you got, yeah, that's a whole other thing. You had to go and try yeah. to find the, the whole fittings for it. Then anyway, um, then you start going on this path and then you realize like, oh my God, we've, we've run through 3000 corks, right? We need new more corks. And then they're like, well, see, we had those in stock. They're not in stock anymore. If you want to get the antique black wood with natural cork, it's going to take around 12 to 16 weeks. Like, oh no! Like, we need them in like four weeks. (laughs) Like, no, you got to be kidding me! And they were like, "But we have these synthetic ones available." And I was like, "All right, well, let me let me pull the audience." You know, and that's one of the greatest things that we have about having the Patreon community is I put a poll out there and I said, "Like, do you all care if something's synthetic or if it's natural?" And it was it was about sixty forty. Most people just didn't care. Um, The people that that actually didn't care or actually wanted synthetic had really good reasons of not wanting natural cork. Um, and the most people that wanted natural cork was mostly just aesthetic, right? That was the only driver. And so I said, all right, well, let's go ahead and let's make the change. We'll move to synthetic. Um, because you know, there's various reasons from, 
um, you know, when did you guys make the change of that? Cause I didn't, I didn't notice that. Um, that it, it had to been, I think episode 11 ish, I think yeah. is when we had to make that, that change. Um, and then now, and then we started going down that path and we're like, okay, well we need to order more. Let's go custom. Right. And so that's, we actually started looking at putting in our custom logo on top of the cork as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You yeah. see that. Uh, so you guys come out with this, you know, it is a really beautiful bottle. You guys did a great job and you've done a really good job of selecting a uh, good whiskey. One of your whiskeys was in my, was a finalist for me, uh, for my American whiskey of the year this year. I thought you guys we really it. brought it. I gave that bottle as a gift. It wasn't for any <laughs> inner reviews. Well, it was just like, Fred, I'd love you to have a bottle. And then I wanted to hold, I was like, well, if I knew it was going to be a review, I would have yeah. given you this. Well, <laughs> you know something, um, Tennessee is actually... You guys were in the best Tennessee category, and Tennessee is not a really, um, you have Jack, and you have George Dickel, and then you have a bunch of people sourcing from there, but I think actually, other than you guys and one or two others, I feel like everybody else picks really bad barrels from Tennessee, and I, I don't know what it is, but you know the, the, the barrels of whiskey that are available on the source market are just, some of them are just awful. You guys, are you guys, when you're in that tasting process... Yeah, we've, we've tasted through them. We, have we you, reject them. <laughs> why the hell is there so much variance from that supplier? You know, I, when, when like Kenny said, and they rolled 30 to 60, and we reject 80 tonight because it has those, you know... Overly mineral. Overly mineral, vitamin, Flintstone, you know, people say. Um, and they're it's so pronounced and so, like, astringent, you, you can't get past it and... Um, but you know where I, that note comes exactly, from. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's from the enzymes. Yeah. From and, the enzymes that use in fermentation. And so, uh, what we do is we really, I think because of it's an 80% corn product, uh, maybe not, or I should probably know that exact, but, um, it has the ones you find her have so much like sweetness and like, uh, dessert flavors in them. And then also if you get them higher age, the Oak balances them out. Well, there's some like like a really good Tennessee barrel like stands out so much versus, you know, all mm-hmm. the Kentucky barrels. But it has to be like a really good one. Otherwise, it's like you said, it, it falls flat or it's just not palatable. Yeah. I mean, there's just been so many bad barrels come out of there, but there's also been some, so, so many brilliant ones. But. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you guys, you guys actually, you put a lot of effort into like selecting these and putting them out there. How have you reacted to, to negative criticism, to bad reviews? Well, I mean, I think anything you do is you're going to get reviews and they're going to be bad. I mean, there's even the podcast people have bad reviews, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you got to put on your thick skin and we have, we have confidence in what we're building and what we're trying to do. And I think if we do that and we try to continue to open the minds of people, you know, when it, especially when it just comes to like our, the Tennessee stock and Tennessee just has a stigma to it. And we knew going into this was going to be a little bit of an uphill battle it's an education session. We educated ourselves, right? We became believers at the end of the day yeah. because we thought that we're like, oh, hell no, we're not going to go down this path, not with Tennessee. And then we became believers. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and we've had access to other, you know, Kentucky H stock, you know, that others true. have bottled and we rejected it because we thought that the single barrels from Tennessee, not just because we're trying to say, we, we legitimately thought that these are a much better product than some of that age Kentucky stock that's out on the market. And so we can 
attest to that. Uh, and it's know. less expensive. And it's less expensive. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you well, know, it's, it's somewhat like we, we pay, we don't get it wrong. Like we pay a premium to actually go and select these barrels. If we just bought them outright, didn't taste into anything, we'd get a cut off. Right. But we, we go through. We wouldn't be able to cherry pick like we did. Exactly. So. But okay. yet, you know, but going to the Kentucky route, we don't have that option and whatever we bought, that's what comes out. That's what gets bottled. And I think that's what, you know, again, that's what you see from the other, uh, the other NDPs that are out there today. And you've got either five and a half, six year or 12 year stuff, you know, exactly where it's coming from. We've tasted it. It just wasn't for us. So you guys, uh, have, um, kind of adapted your model a little bit to go outside of this, you know, this little Tennessee spot and that you're going to other States and finding, uh, finding whiskey. What are some, uh, some distilleries that you can tell us right now that you'll have product coming from. Yeah. I mean, well, I think I want to also kind of talk about the reason why we, we went that route as well. You know, one of the things that we have and you know, I, I hate, it's not to sound boastful, but we have an audience, like we have an audience, we've got, you know, people that listen it ain't to ain't bragging if it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's one of those things that for us, and I kind of found it a little surreal too, that, you know, we might not be Fred Minnick, but some people actually care about what we think about when we talk about a whiskey or what we taste and all this sort of stuff. And that was never the intention when we started this podcast. Like, we're not going to be whiskey reviewers. Like, we're not going to be those people because we got Barstown and Louisville. Like, we're just two guys. We're just here for education. Yeah, whiskey then, quickies are pretty good. Well, that's what I'm saying. It took it took years. I it, think. it took our audience convincing us that they wanted to hear that. That's like, true. Because we were both like, we're not reviewers. I don't. You know, that's why I came up with the thumbs up, thumbs down. So, because I, I was, was like, by the way, I was so proud of both of you with your Weller foolproof review. It was spot on. It was very, it was, that was so good. And, we, but, you know, everybody picked up on that flat finish. Yeah. It's so, it does have a dry finish. Well, but, I yeah. appreciate it. But I mean, again, that was one of those things that, you know, we started and we said, like, it, it, again, it was the audience that pushed us and said, like, we'd love to have you do more reviews. And from there, we kind of realized, like, maybe actually people care about. Uh, or think about what they, you know, what we taste. And so that's where we said like, well, let's figure out like, how can we, how can we expand this a little bit more um, and give other distillers that don't have, or that basically want to get into our audience, right? Like they want to, and I look at it as well as that we can vet it. I mean, Fred, you know it best as well. We all have bottles that show up on a weekly basis from craft distillers around the country. And most of them, just don't cut the mustard for us. Yeah. And and it's one of those things, but every once and, in a while you find and, one. Yeah. And selfishly, we're, I mean, to come back to it, we're whiskey geeks. We're, we're the audience. And so for us, it's fun, like trying to find something new because, um, you know, in Kentucky, everything, you know, what's good and, but it's hard to get those. So it's fun right. exploring and trying different things. And so I wanted, or both of us wanted, you know, an opportunity to find something unique, you know, something outside of Kentucky that, uh, really like shines on its own and it's been difficult to find, but the ones we have partnered with thus far have like blown it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. And so back to your question about or like hit it out of the park you know, or whatever, who we, who we talking to so far. Um, so we've already had a release from Willet, right? So that's one in Kentucky and that's, that's also, which know, they didn't need any catapult from our audience, but it, you know, I grew up with Drew. Drew's a great friend with me and he, he helped us out and, uh, I was, I'll be forever grateful for that opportunity uh to that he gave us to to work with him absolutely because it's one of the premier distilleries and we're you know just fascinated to be able to work with them um and then one of the other ones that we had already released um released two episodes from this distillery already which is finger lakes uh out of new york York. yeah yep Uh, i mean that's it was one that um blake put on our radar um and we tried it was amazing 
And now we can, you know, we've bought multiple barrels for them. Uh, so looking to actually do more barrel releases. It's funny, like, uh, you know, in covering this world for um, a decade and a half, it's like Finger Lakes. I remember them where they were just starting out and they were sitting with their distillate. And it's just so cool to see how they have grown. And now you guys are tapping into that and, and bringing it, bringing them, because they don't, they had like no marketing, nobody knows about them. And you guys bringing them forward to the conversation is probably more attention that they're, that they've <laughs> ever gotten. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's one of the things that we love about this, this opportunity, you know, not only just Finger Leaks as well as, uh, you know, Woodenville Whiskey Company, right. We're working with them as well. You know, when we another great whiskey, yeah, and that's what I want to do is we want to find you know some of those some of those gems that are out there that we can we can expose to our audience, and when we can put it into a single barrel offering at cash strength, like this is what we've tried, like I guarantee you, you're gonna love this because we're not gonna put it. I just sound like a men's warehouse commercial, but <laughs> it's, it, but it just you're gonna love the way you look, <laughs> <laughs> you're but gonna we, love the way it tastes. But that's that's one of those things is like we put our name, we put our stamp behind it, saying like, listen. This is this is something that you're gonna dig. I promise. We wouldn't put it out there if it wasn't that. Yeah. Right? And, and I and it, I think and that's we what put it, a lot of time in. Like it, it takes a lot to to get a, an episode. Like we taste a lot of stuff, and it we're very very picky about it. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we're special, but like these these barrels are very. Ryan, you you are special. <laughs> no, definitely not. I but, mean, it, it wouldn't be hard for us to just go and buy. 10 barrels of six-year MGP and put them in an episode and say, here you go. It wouldn't be hard to do that, but it just doesn't make it special. I feel like there's already a lot of that happening and we want to try to find those ones that really stand out. Do all of them uh, sell out? So far. So far they have, yeah. And is there any uh, any thoughts about starting a batching process? Well, I'll let you take that one. <laughs> you know, there there is. Um, right now we're not ready for it because we don't have enough stock or inventory but um we do have some partnerships that are potential partnerships that do want to make that happen to to give us more buying ability to where we can actually have the stock to create our own blend or small batch or whatnot um we're just not there yet so we're we're and we can pick out good single barrels but blending we've tried it and we're not good yet. So we're practicing. We're trying to refine that. But it mm-hmm. is something we want to work on. Because doing these single barrels is very expensive. Um, and they are expensive to the end consumer. And so when you do blending and small batch, you can make it more affordable. We, But it has to be good. That's the thing. And right now, we're just not at that point where we're putting a good product out. And so we want to make sure we really make this well thought out. That it's a great product that people are going to enjoy at an affordable price. And we're just not there yet, but you know it's definitely in the works. Would you all uh, consider taking outside investment and uh, growing that way? Potentially, but it'd have to be the right partner because you know we want to keep this that we are whiskey fanboys and we want it to be a good product. We don't want to have to answer to shareholders or push something out there that we don't stand behind just to get returns immediately. And so it'd have to be a partner that is on the same uh, page as us and want, has the same goal as us. And so that's, um, I would be open to it, but right now I, I love our process. We work great together. I think we have great um, synergy and there's collaboration. The, there's on, the buzzword. Yeah, synergy. <laughs> exactly. But I was thinking he was going to say chemistry. Yeah. Chemistry, yeah, we, uh, yeah. You know, when I, when I think about taking outside investment, 
right now we are we are in a good position where we don't need to. Um, the only reason we would need to is if for some reason the brand just exploded and we needed to buy tons and tons of stock to be able to get across the nation. We don't anticipate that happening. We're boutique enough. We don't really, like I said, maybe not even want to see that happen. Um, but at the same exact time, even the other reason that we would try to do it is to get our price point down. We understand that we're a little bit more in price than than what you can get out $75? there. $75? Uh, 75 to 115 depending yeah. on what you're getting, right? Um, plus shipping. But at the end of the day, if you can, if you're going to knock that down five or 10 bucks, is it really worth it? Right. So it, we just... We're not ready to make compromises. When you scale, you have to compromise. You always do. People say you don't, but you do. And it's mm-hmm. and right now we just don't want to compromise because we're still. I mean, yes, we've had success, but let's be real. We've only we've only sold what eighteen barrels, and I mean that's, that's peanuts. You know, I mean that's peanuts. And the the you know brands do this. This is like a third of a major release or a limited release. You know, it's so it's. You uh, still haven't uh, had enough barrels to make a batch of larceny. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's so, I mean, I, I, I'm enjoying what we're doing now. We're having fun with it. I want to continue to partner with uh, the craft distilleries that are, you know, have really good, because that's, that's really enjoyable. Like Kenny and so, I just, at the time of this recording, we just got back from Seattle with what doing Woodenville and. That, that that was so much fun, you know, and they were excited that we were there. We were excited to be there. And it's just, you know, it's a great, it's fun doing those. They will, They won my best uh, non-Kentucky bourbon. Yeah, uh, thanks to Kenny. He snuck it in. Hey, there. He, <laughs> he snuck it in. He snuck it in. And then uh, I got a, another bottle. So it was my bottle, not, not yours that was in the competition. And it, it did really well. But okay, so at, at this stage of what a lot of people do is like they're sourcing and all that. And there's, they start kind of planning out and they've got these five and 15 year projections. So they start doing contract distilling. Are you all doing any contract distilling or are there any plans for contract distilling? Yes, we are. I don't know if we can name names yet. But <laughs> yeah, we can't name officially name names, but yes, we do have some new make. Um, solidified with one distiller and we're in the process of another is that distiller in kentucky it is yes is that distiller in bardstown <laughs> maybe next one so but i mean we did are... you grow up with that distiller <laughs> there's only ten thousand people in bars so i grew up with everyone <laughs> but you know we you you look at this as you know when you when you start the sourcing game it's expensive and you you don't really own your destiny right yeah. that's that's what it comes down that's to. that's the problem and we're we're kind of hitting that now you know it's like uh, there's, a sh- there's so much age stock out there and it's, it's being depleted because people want high age stuff, you know, so it's, it's hard to find. So that's what I said is we're, we're trying, basically this, this business venture isn't going to be in the green for a while. Like we're going to be keep dumping every dollar we make out you of it. Bl- you mean the black? Well, in the black, making black money, red, yeah, whatever. It is. See, that's <laughs> it's, green is. Yeah, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know what green. Is I don't know. In what, I don't think green is an accounting term. Well, you look in Excel spreadsheet. If it's positive. It's green. <laughs> so. Okay, there you go. <laughs> On Google Docs, there Fred doesn't go. know those. But anyway, I mean, every every dollar we are making, we we dump back into actually whether we're buying other barrels or we are putting into new make or new contracts or something like that. We're we're trying to figure out how we can again. Yeah, it makes make something more long term. We want to have a this is probably like bad from a long term sense, but we want the most like diverse we want a diverse inventory that we can work with. And uh it that's you know, that 
probably doesn't make sense, but we, we just want something, we want to make this unique and different and from other brands out it, there. It, it, it is. And, and I'll say the thing that makes it unique is, is the podcast, but, and you guys know, I mean, I, I work with you, but when I, when we do a show together, I always forget when we're in the middle of a show and you, and you may bring it up in a in conversation or something, but I always forget. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. They own, they own a brand. It never comes across like um, you're you're peddling the you're peddling the product on the show. So what's the how do you do that? Like how do you how do you not oversaturate um, the the promotion of Pursuit series? That's why I was nervous about doing this podcast because it was kind of like it just felt like too self serving. Yeah, I didn't didn't uh, you're the one that kind of pushed us said like I want to interview you guys about this. I, I really yeah, well, yeah the reason because. You know, so many of us, like in, in the wine world, when when a wine critic or a wine writer starts a brand, his career is over. Like you can't do that. And like I'm always I'm always think I'm a writer, you know, and so it's how I think I think of conflicts of interest. And it's like you guys have been able to carry this without seemingly have a conflict of interest. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, like we, I said, mostly for us, it was it was about our audience. And that's really what we cared about, um, especially the Patreon people, right? I mean, like that's that's what funds, that's what grows this. And the idea in the very beginning was that we can give them offerings to more single barrels than we ever could before. Like, we don't have to worry about allocation of what we can get from Buffalo Trace or from Barton or from uh, Four Roses or Wild Turkey. Like, we can go and we can go select stuff and we can put it on a label and we can have fun with it. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we didn't... That's just our background. We're not like, I don't know, even with the podcast, we've never been pushy or like wanting to sell. It's just this is fun for us. And so if somebody wants to go along and ride with us, you know, we're happy to have you, you know, it's not like we, we have to make this successful and have to, you know, push this brand on you to, to just get money. We, it's something we enjoy doing and we're so grateful for the opportunity, but I never want it to be like something that, uh, you know, just put down people's throat, you know, just bother them with it. All and right. As one thing that you'd always say, you're like, when are you guys going to quit your real jobs and start working <laughs> right. bourbon full time? Like, oh, this, this it like, feels a, like it's, I have two full time jobs <laughs> now. But this, this could be one of those stepping stones that could potentially get us there. Right. I mean, there's, there's only so much money you can make in, uh, you know, in a podcasting realm and there's only so much money you can make in a boutique bourbon brand, but maybe together they could grow to something one day. And so, like I said, that's one of the things if we want to think about the retirement plan, maybe that's, that's what it could be. Yeah. I had a couple. I'm going to go, go down on some some rapid fire questions, real some to have some fun. Okay, and you both answer separately. Okay, your favorite ser- your your favorite series, uh, episode five. Why? So it had this this buttery note to it that was just something that we just haven't been able to find um, anywhere else where it was just this creamy mouthfeel. Not really creamy, but like I said, this kind of like buttery mouthfeel is, you yeah. know, you you say it a lot where it says like, you know, it hits the back of your jaws and just kind of like rolls over. And that was one of those things that kind of hit it for me. Um, second one was episode two because... Ryan knows that I'm a I'm a I'm a sucker for yeah. for oak bombs and tannins yeah, and yeah. that Two, was it. Two's probably my least favorite one because it's an <laughs> oak tannic bomb. But you know, if you like that, that's it's right in your wheelhouse. Um for me, five's really good. It's probably number three. I'd say nine is my favorite because it has like this like croissant donuts, like it, it reminds me of a bakery, and I call it like the bourbon bakery or something. It just it reminds me of going to Plains here in Louisville and getting a yum yum or something. Like it just has like that syrupy, doughy, sugary kind of flavor. And then probably my second favorite is 
the episode, is it 18, the McKenzie Rye? This rye is so unique. We don't have it here today, but it's so unique, so fruity. It's great. I don't know. I'm I'm obsessed with it. A New York rye. That's ooh, yeah. Empire rye. Empire rye. Get, get back to the uh, the old days. Yeah. Okay, so you have you could pick from any distillery in the world. You don't have to worry about the businesses of getting in. What distillery would you like to most uh, slap in a Pursuit Series bottle? Oh man. You want to go first? You want me to go? Um, if I think about something that... I, Essentially, I, I'm asking you, what is your favorite distillery? Yeah, well, well lack the, of a better The thing term. is, we've, you know, we have several that we have in, that we are working with, so... Well, I mean... If, but we can't name. Yeah, but I mean, the other thing is, if, if, you, if you look at what's out there, and I think of like a product that isn't available in the, the shape or form that we're building, you know, I would, I would like to look at something more from probably like a, a Sazerac brand. Like I, I love a lot. I mean, there's so much good stuff that's coming out of mm-hmm. Buffalo Trace. I mean, just fantastic whiskey. Um, and, you know, when we so look So you at, would pick a Buffalo Trace to put in there? I, I there. probably would. Yeah, he's um, a stag yeah, like Homer. Yeah, I, I kind of am. <laughs> um, you know, and could you imagine if, you know, they're, they open up a stag junior barrel program or anything <laughs> like funny, that? It's uh, funny, like, when we first started this, so I was like, all right, I'm going to convince all these distillers that we're going to do an episode relate back to the podcast you know like we had harlan wheatley on and chris morse was like you all should sell us your whiskey and we can put in a bottle and say it's and then they're like nope <laughs> nope <laughs> shut down real fast funny story right yeah. yeah but uh for me probably uh i don't know i think wild turkey or russell's would you know doing that would be pretty cool um because that's one of the my favorite barrel picks that we do is uh the russell's products or i mean i don't know any <laughs> really any Kentucky Distillery is always fun. (laughs) Okay, so Bourbon Pursuit and Pursuit Series are two uh, different ventures. They're two different businesses operated separately. You have to pick one to do for the rest of your life, Bourbon Pursuit or Pursuit Series. I don't think Pursuit Series lives without Bourbon Pursuit. So that's where I think, um, you know, one can't happen without the other. So I'd probably have to say, you know, stick with, stick with bourbon pursuit, even though that pursuit I'll series make, is going to have, to put it this way, pursuit series. If all of a sudden this ends tomorrow, at least Ryan and I, we've, we've bought barrels that we're going to have enough whiskey that we can yeah. drink for the rest of our lives that are sitting in stock, which is great. Um, but pursuit series doesn't live without bourbon pursuit. I'll let Kenny keep bourbon pursuit. I will exit and <laughs> keep pursuit series going. There you go. <laughs> so no, but it's the same thing. They both have to have each other. Uh, so that, I mean, Pursuit Series, I love the podcast. Pursuit Series though is like, it really like, I don't know, it's deep in my soul. Like, I love it. It's like one of the things that keeps me up at night, keeps me excited. I don't know. I'm, but Burn Pursuit does too. So it's, it's hard, but if I had to pick probably be Pursuit Series, cause Kenny's going to run Burn Pursuit with you. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. Okay. So you could buy as much uh, Kentucky bourbon from this Kentucky distillery as you'd like. You could go in there and you could select the barrels. Would you do it? OZ Tyler. Um, well, I think right now, here's the thing is that OZ Tyler has contracts out there. Like there's people there that Correct. you can, you can go and you can buy the contracts. You can do that. Um, there's a lot of people out there. I think they have up to three-year-old product already now that you can buy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's still TBD. 
on on what it's going to taste like. Um, it, it can't hurt to own a handful of barrels and see what it's going to be like. But you know, those are it's one of those things that it, the the source game is always a gamble. I mean, it's just even starting distillery, it's always a gamble. You don't know what the end product's going to be like. Yeah, um, their their master distiller is actually very talented, and I met with them or we did a podcast with them. I don't know. It's a long Jacob. time. Or, I, yeah, Jacob. Yeah. He's a Jacob. Call. I mean, and I tasted some of his new make, and it was great. But it was new make, so you just never know what it's you know going to turn out to. But uh, right. like Kenny said, TBD. Um, but it is nice having, for whatever reason, it's nice having that KY on there because it's a stigma thing. It's like you see KY and it's pulls yeah. premium. Yep, mm-hmm. that's how it works. And and um, they when they're making whiskey. You know, you go in and crack in those barrels, you know, who's to say that they don't have a honey barrel in there, right? That's true. It can always happen. So. I'm sure they're going to have good. I mean, I'm sure that it's going to be good. You know, it's, it's just let the time develop. So that's a yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 It probably will. There's good. <laughs> as long as it's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last, uh, last question. It's your big marketing spend for the year. Where are you spending your money? You know, one thing that we've we've tried to figure out is uh, how do we actually market this more? Um, and that's been tough. You know, I think it's been tough. You know, we've played around with Facebook advertisements, Facebook with that. I mean, uh, I don't think we're going to go buy billboards anytime soon either. Um, no. So our, our marketing budget's actually pretty tight because we throw everything back into the whiskey. I mean, yeah. That's, that's kind of... So that, I guess my point is, is like you have, all right, let's say I give you $10,000 for marketing. Where, where, and how are you spending it? I would buy a good whiskey. Well, <laughs> seriously though, that's I think that's you know you can market stuff, and I, I understand, but it you know we freaked out about the packaging and all this stuff. But when I you know when Kenny and I decided, I was like, do you ever really look at it? You just when you taste it, you know you know that it's good. And I think if we continue investing, I would invest it in the whiskey because if you have a good product, people are going to come back no matter what it's in. Yeah, I mean, and we're light marketers at the end of the day, what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're talking about it here. This is the most we've ever marketed this product is this this podcast right here. Um, you know, we've talked about it you know, a few times on the podcast opening. We give people notifications through uh, social media and stuff like that. Um, but we haven't done anything to like do a land grab across the U.S. of like, how do we put the name Pursuit Series in every whiskey drinker's head across the United States? Honestly, that's something that we never really thought of before. Um, so... So therein is why you are, you have the hearts of, of the whiskey geeks because we all hate marketing, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Your, your answers were like, put it back into the whiskey and, uh, you know, that's to be applauded. And I'm excited to see where, where things are going for you all. And this is a, this is a great endeavor. I'm excited that you guys are already contract distilling and thinking ahead of the future. So you've obviously, you, I think we're going to have to have another episode of um of the bourbon pursuit where i turn the tables on you two and we just we just talk about where where things are going so thank you so much for joining me yeah it's nice not episode. having to think of questions you yeah. know it's you just answer it's fun it's, being on this it's sometimes. refreshing <laughs> yeah you both you both were, were were pretty good but it's way it's fun feeling refreshing me on this side and actually being knowledgeable of what you're talking about right and you know, not just guessing <laughs> exactly yeah, you for guys sure. you guys were great so thank you so much for joining me on this episode of uh, bourbon pursuit if you'd like, go uh, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Search Bourbon Pursuit. And while you're at it, become a Patreon member. Support the community and learn more about the Pursuit series. And most importantly, give us a 
go to the the ratings or whatever that you however you listen to this podcast give us a rating a thumbs up the algorithms it matters so uh that's this week's bourbon pursuit until next week cheers everybody cheers, cheers.